as the cold November wind sweeps against the matted hills. I walk where the crackling weathers shake the many birds, the manifold leaves, and try to find a thing that grieves to hear the cloth of snow come on, to hear the panting, boneless step of death that waits to take the world, and learn how nothing, nothing cares. To that tree, the river, the dreamless hill that have spilled their seed and fruit away. Death is the brimming of the cup, timed simple and most natural close. Though it is easier not to dream, to bother as the hard years fall, to take no friend or hope or brother, how will we know that we have lived in a world apart from leaves and wind? Those alone who took the chance and practiced love and dared despair will never fall from shapes of grace. Those alone who came to care the way it was with other lives have struggled above rock and beast, have set their grain against the rest and beautiful as trees still green argue the winter of this place. Hello, and welcome to the Fabled Remedies podcast number two, Tales of Samhain, Fruit of the Gods, and Ancestral Healing. As always, we invite you to join us on a silly and sacred journey into the mysterious. Our goal at Fabled Remedies is to create a safe community to explore far out ideas and celebrate the wisdom in the weird. My name is Grizzly, and with me as always, the queen of my pumpkin patch and fellow fabulist, Lucy. Hello, everyone. Well, I am so excited for today's episode because this is my favorite time of the year. The first frost is on the air, the leaves are turning orange, amber, and red, and the great pumpkin has arisen. So all you witches, ghosts, and goblins, pour yourselves a nice warm cup of mulled wine, cozy up next to your haunted hearth, and strap yourselves in for today's episode, because we are diving into the history, rituals, and supernatural stories that make this hollow day so very special to us all. But before we do that, we ask that you don't forget to check out fabledremedies.com where you can find links to all of our projects, podcasts, music, and original artwork for sale. And please contact us with any strange stories, whether divine or terrifying. We want to hear about them, and maybe we could even talk about one on an upcoming show. And I really love that intro that you shared with us this week, Lucy. Do you care to share with the audience a few more words about that? But of course, uh, that was a poem called A Walk Through the Graveyard. And that's by Mary Oliver, who, she's an American poet, um, didn't passed away just a few years ago, and she won the National Book Award, the Pulitzer Prize. I think she's one of the best-selling poets in the U.S. Um, but I really love her work because it's inspired by nature, and this stems from her lifelong passion for solitary walks in the wild. And I think that's one of the reasons why I feel so connected to so much of her work, because 
some of the most beautiful and powerful moments in my life have been long hikes in the wild. Um, and it's definitely a way to really just tune into the natural environment. But for this piece in particular, I thought was especially appropriate for our thematic material today. The, you know, we're in the turning of the wheel of the year the liminal space between this and other realities, um, honoring both the grief, but also the love associated with loss and change. And particularly that death is one of the essential realities of our existence. And this time of the year is a really special moment to acknowledge that. Well, I'm sure we can all agree that with everything going on in the world the past few years, death is something fresh on the lips of almost every TV host, newscaster, and family member. Whether it be the fear of it or direct impact of losing someone special to you, I'm sure you're thinking, Grizzly, I've had enough of COVID. What's this have to do with a Halloween episode, right? Well, actually, in times current and ancient all over the world, there was no better time to shine a little light into the dark and unknown realms of spirit. This was the final harvest of the year and time when communities came together to feast and ritually celebrate those who had passed before them. You see, death wasn't an ending to most of our ancestors. The spirit world wasn't even some far unreachable place, but actually somewhere very close to home. The afterlife was right there in the trees, rivers, and fields that fed and gave shelter to us in body and in spirit. Shrines or altars were built in remembrance to loved ones, and offerings of gratitude would be made to spirits, folk heroes, and many gods and goddesses of old. Large effigies were built upon hillsides made in the image of man to remind us of our place and impermanence in the world and then set ablaze. This fire became the symbol of the sun that warmed the hearths, cooked the food, and gave light all through the darkness of winter for every member of their community. A spark from this fire was placed in the hollowed out flesh of a turnip or a potato, and in later years, many went on to decorate them with the faces of fairies, ancestors, or devils. This was to scare off any unwanted encounters with mischievous spirits on their travels home. Young members of the community were tasked with carrying flames and food from the feast to any elderly or sick individuals that could not attend the rituals. In return, they gifted the children with sweet breads, milk or apples being the fruit of the other world. I'm sure you can already see how some of these traditions have passed down and been altered into some of the celebrations that we do today in the West. A lot of what I'm speaking of can be traced back to what we call Samhain. Samhain is a Gaelic festival marking the end of harvest and beginning of winter, thought of as the dark half of the year. The Celtic calendar was used like a wheel being split into four parts. It focused on the cyclical change of seasons, celebrating four fire festivals. These were evenly spaced out through the year, marking the transition of the sun across the sky. This was the time when the veil between worlds was the thinnest, a time when spirits can travel to the earth, and also when humans can most easily travel to other worlds. Another name for this holy day is the Feast of the Dead, 
because many cultures believe that communication with those that had passed on was most easily achievable around this time. Everything from divination, spirit communication, animal, and in some cases human sacrifice were performed. Let's take a breath here to remember that these animals were eaten and shared with the community, and in some cultures that practiced sacrifice, it was a volunteer that wanted to go into the spirit worlds as an ambassador for their whole community to speak on their behalf to the gods and goddesses of their afterlife. And this was considered an extremely honorable thing to do for the individual. In our modern era, in the West, death is something hidden, something dark and not talked about. You can take the term YOLO, you only live once, so enjoy it because when you're done, you're done. While this wasn't the case at all to almost every culture in the world, up until modern times, when we have let the ideas of stuffy scientists that wouldn't know a divine encounter or an out-of-body experience if it slapped them in the third eye chakra. Life and death weren't something that could be separated for our ancestors. Like the winter and summer, with every death there was a rebirth and a hope to become something even better than you were before. This was also the time of the year when many children were conceived, so Samhain should really be seen in equal parts a ritual for honoring fertility, rebirth, and death. You can even find the roots of games like bobbing for apples as a fun way for young singles to shack up for the coming winter. We could really do a whole podcast looking into all the fantastic individual components making up this witch's copper melting cauldron we call Halloween, but with this being Fabled Remedies, now let's take a minute to deep dive into one of our most arcane and magically revered, in some cases forbidden, fruits or plants this earth has to offer. The sacred food of the gods and the food of the dead, the apple. The information I'm going to be going over about apples today, I'm going to be using one of my favorite books that I always go to when I'm looking for more esoteric information on different herbs and fruits and plants and uh, I'm going to be reading from Scott Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. So he gets this information by researching all kinds of different cultural mythologies and different magical rituals and different ways and there, there's a uh, as I read through here there's magical uses and associations for deities and all kinds of different practical ways and things that you can associate and use these apples for to achieve different things other than it boosting your immune system which they're also wonderful for so the apple is a feminine plant it the planet associated with the apple is venus and its element is water it has powers from love healing and immunity and wiccan altars are often piled high with apples on Samhain for apples are considered one of the foods of the dead and for this reason Samhain is sometimes even called the feast of apples the apple is a symbol of immortality a branch of the apple which bore buds flowers and fully ripened fruit was a kind of magical charm which enabled its possessor to enter into the land of the gods and the underworld in Celtic mythology. In the old English ballad, Thomas the Rhymer, the fairy queen warns Thomas against eating any of the apples and pears which hung in her garden. 
For to eat the food of the dead ensures that there will be no return to the world of the living. In some Wiccan traditions, the apple is a symbol of the soul, and so they are buried on Samhain, so that those who will be reborn in the spring will have food during the cold winter months. So let's now look at some of the magical uses of apples. The apple has long been used in love spells. The blossoms are added to love sachets, brews, and incense, and they are infused in melted pink wax and then strained out to make candles suitable to burn for attracting love. <laughs> a simple apple love spell consists of cutting an apple in half and sharing it with your loved one. This ensures that they will be happy together. A similar spell directs you to hold an apple in your hands until warm and then give it to your intended. If he or she eats it, your love will be returned. Can you, um, like, <laughs> I'm just imagining if this is like the first time that I've ever met you and you come up to me and you're like, hey, I've got this warm apple. Would you like it? I warmed it up with my body. It's for you. <laughs> like, uh, cool. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> that wouldn't be creepy at all. No, it totally wouldn't be. I mean, you know, that kind of goes into, uh, there's like an idea of you give your teacher an apple. Yeah, I remember that. Apples are also used in love divinations and were extremely popular among unmarried women in Europe for many centuries. Simply cut an apple in two and count the number of seeds. If they are even, marriage will soon occur. If one of the seeds is cut, it may be a stormy relationship. If two are cut, widowhood is foretold. However, if an uneven number of seeds are found, the woman will remain unmarried in the near future. For healing, cut an apple into three pieces. Rub each of the affected parts of the body and then bury them. Do this during the waning moon to banish illnesses. If you are a gardener, pour apple cider onto freshly turned earth to give it life just before planting. Also pour libations on roots just before tree rituals. And if you grow apples, bury 13 leaves of an apple tree after harvest to ensure that a good crop will happen for the next year. Now, I feel like all of those things sound like a good idea and yeah, kind of like... like you know, with a lot of like permaculture practices, instead of going out and buying chemical fertilizer, you'll just like bury things to decay underneath where the roots are so that they have extra nutrients. And then maybe there's something about like the old leaves and how it's like the energy of the old tree and it's morphic resonance is being passed on to the new tree. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the more you get into these ideas of magic, some of it sounds super far out, but also if you just kind of look at what they're saying a lot of times it's super practical just like by taking all the brush and old dead parts of your garden and building an effigy and burning it and then scattering the ashes over the field and doing putting blood and and it's like composting your field yeah i mean that's, that's... literally and they're adding you know they're that's contributing to the ph and all the nutrients in the soil and it's super practical it's actually not only spiritually making your garden better but in practical terms adding nutrients back to the soil for next year so right on the norse as well as many other peoples ate apples to gain immortality through wisdom 
and the wood of the apple tree can be made into charms for longevity. Apple wood also makes excellent magical wands, especially suited to emotional magic as well as love rites. Mm. Says use apple cider in place of blood where it is called for in old recipes and rituals. Apples can be fashioned into poppets for magical figures, for use in spells or images can be carved from the wood itself. Before eating any apple, rub it to remove any demons or spirits that might hide inside. So if you've ever seen somebody just kind of blowing an apple and rubbing on their shirt, that's not just to get the dirt out. Mm. Finally, unicorns live beneath apple trees. And so if you know an apple orchard, quietly go there on a misty day. You may see a single horn upraised as a horse-like animal quietly munching sweet magical apples sits beneath the tree. Yeah, so you know that there's like that famous series of tapestries about unicorns from uh, the medieval era. Let me see. What is the name of it? Okay. It's, and they're supposed to be symbols for like Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. So the name of the series is The Unicorn Rests in a Garden from, well, that's the name of this particular one that I'm looking at is a unicorn under a tree in a little uh, enclosed garden from the unicorn tapestries. And it's between 1495 and 1505. So the seven individual hangings known as the unicorn tapestries are among the most beautiful and complex works of art from the late Middle Ages that survive. Luxuriously woven in fine wool and silk with silver and gilded threads, the tapestries vividly depict scenes associated with the hunt for the elusive magical unicorn. The hunt of the unicorn tapestries comprise an allegory of the fate of the pure soul in the world, the unicorn often being referred to as a Christ figure. However, its meaning is much older than Christianity. Boom. Another little fun fact about apples is if you cut one open, they have the shape of a pentagram inside. Dun-dun-dun, super spirit. (laughs) Super spiritual. Super spiritual. So I know we're going a little bit deep into the apple thing, but I have not forgot about the most iconic, technically a berry, plant spirit of this sacred time, and that is the pumpkin. So next up, we are going to look at the tale of Stingy Jack, which gives us the story of where we get jack-o'-lanterns and why we make jack-o'-lanterns today. Gather round the fire. Hundreds of years ago, there was an irritable and drunkard of a blacksmith named Jack. He was known to be extremely stingy and kind of a real arse. He lived in a small Irish village and one day walking home from the pub on a winding dark road through the forest, there was a figure. And as he approached the figure, Jack realized that this was no ordinary person, but was in fact the devil himself. He had come to claim Jack's soul. So Jack pleaded with the devil and asked him if he could have but one more drink before he went. The devil, likened to party, decided to go with him back to the pub and agreed to share one last drink with Jack. Jack actually was the devil's kind of guy, so one drink turned into two or three or four and the night went on and Finally, it was time for them to go, and the devil said to Jack that he must settle his tab, for they must return to hell. 
Jack, being pretty lit but also being a clever man, told the devil that he didn't have any money to settle the tab with the barkeep. So he put out the idea to the devil that if he would turn into a gold coin, he would use him to pay for it and then the devil could turn back into himself and take him to hell. The devil agreed. He turned into a gold coin and Jack placed the devil into his pocket. But inside of Jack's pocket, he had a crucifix. And once the coin touched the crucifix, the devil could no longer transform back into his normal form. So Jack made a deal with the devil that he would release him from his pocket if he would give him but 10 more years on earth. The devil was of course a little pissed off but also admired the wisdom of uh, the gentleman Jack so agreed to his proposition not really having a choice in the matter either way. Jack went on not really changing any of his ways and 10 years had finally passed. The devil returned to Jack and said it's time for you to come with me back to hell. Then Jack pleaded with the devil one more time. He said, before I go to hell, can I have but one last meal? The devil agreed to Jack's proposition, for in a way he did admire him that he had been tricked before. So the devil climbed into a nearby apple tree. To apples. Exactly. Here we go with the apples again. <laughs> and he went up in the tree to get Jack an apple. Jack then swiftly carved multiple crucifixes into the bark of the tree, trapping the devil up into the treetops. He had taken the devil for full one more time, and the devil was indeed again pissed. <laughs> so, Jack agreed to let the devil down from the tree if he would leave his soul alone and not return. The devil had no real choice in the matter. So he threw down the apple to Jack and he agreed that if he would let him down from the tree that he would not come back for his soul. Many years passed and Jack continued his ways of drinking and playing tricks and partying it up and just being a rough and rowdy individual. And his final day finally came. So he died and his soul went to heaven. When he got to heaven, God was waiting at the gates and said, you're definitely not coming in here. <laughs> <laughs> so he sent Jack down to hell. But when he got to hell, the devil was waiting and was shaking his head and said, absolutely not. Uh, you are definitely not coming in here. So the devil sent him back to dwell on earth eternally but he could only travel in the darkness. And before he went, the devil took one spark from hell and placed it in a turnip so Jack would have light to see. And that is why today we make jack-o'-lanterns. And when we came from Europe over to America, the natives had pumpkins and that later became the most ideal thing to make jack-o'-lanterns with for us and that's why we use them to celebrate today so um this 
story while you were reading it, I was imagining in my head, you know, the animation from the Deathly Hallows and Harry Potter to like the story of the Hallows, uh, where it's all animated and they go with death and whatever. So I was like imagining that style, but with like a super drunk, like fallen over <laughs> Irish dude in the shadows, just like kind of. I don't know. Just fucking with the devil. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my little version of the story Stingy Jack. It's one of my favorite Halloween folktales. Now we're going to take a little music break, but on the other side, Lucy's going to keep this trick-or-treat train rolling. (laughs) Pope Boniface. (laughs) Pope Boniface. section I feel like you have given a really awesome overview of a lot of the themes and the archetypes that are associated with these ancient European traditions and I think it's important to note that these particular motifs are not only represented in that specific region but we see celebrations around the world sharing in similar practices even oftentimes in similar times of the year. So just to give out some examples of that, so you can see how widely these energies are being shared all around the world. There's a celebration called Oban. And well, actually, before I even go into these, let me just start by saying there is a high likelihood that I'm going to butcher most of these names. Um, However, we're just going to go for it. 
All right. So uh, there's a Japanese Buddhist festival called Obon or just Bon for short, which usually falls in late summer. And this one, it is traditionally believed that the souls of the dead revisit the living. Also in North and South Korea, we have Chuseok. This literally means autumn evening. And it is a multi-faith festival with a strong tradition of honoring ancestors. Also, we have Thursday of the Dead, which is another celebration of the dead, particular to the Middle East. This is shared by Christians and Muslims and often involves a visit to graves and offerings of food. Then we have for the Hindu faiths, there is a festival observed called Pitru Paksha or Shraddha, which I think is a pretty cool name. And it is colloquially known as Fortnight of the Ancestors, usually occurring around September and takes the form of ritualistic food offerings with various observances. So those are some of these similar celebrations that we're seeing all around the world. The one that we're probably most familiar with in the U.S. beyond Halloween is Day of the Dead or Dia de los Muertos, which is traditionally a Mexican holiday. It's a two-day holiday that reunites the living and the dead, where families create offerings to honor their departed family members, and these are believed to encourage visits from the land of the dead. So this one is interesting because um, while many of us see death as a sad event, those who celebrate the Day of the Dead view death as a welcomed part of life. The featured skeletons and skulls are often seen smiling as a friendly nod to death or a celebration. This particular view of death began back during a one-month Aztec festival where they celebrated the dead and paid homage to the Lady of Death, whose name is Miklansihuatl. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. And um, she protected their departed loved ones and helped them in the afterlife. This holiday, Dia de los Muertos, is a really great example of ancient indigenous practices becoming integrated with a more modern Catholic or Christian faith. So we've talked about some of these festivals that are celebrated in many different cultures around the world. But... One of the more widespread holidays that has sort of overtaken a lot of these is the Christian holiday of All Saints Day or All Souls Day. So how did this shift start to take place? Well, one of the ways that Christianity spread into the modern world is when the Roman Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity in the early 4th century. And then in the year 380, the religion was made the official faith of the Roman Empire. After this time, both traditional Roman and Celtic practices were demonized, including the celebration of holidays like Samhain. All Souls Day was celebrated to honor the dead on October 31st, and All Saints Day to celebrate those who have attained sainthood is on November 1st. And the celebration of All Saints Day began in the 7th century in Rome when Pope, <laughs> I'm sorry, this, his name is hilarious, Pope Boniface. Boniface. I, I want to say Boniface so bad. <laughs> Boniface. Pope Boniface the Fourth. Um, the, he 
started All Saints Day at the dedication ceremony to the Pantheon in Rome, which I think is like very interesting. And there's probably some layers there for my occult folks, but we'll maybe at another time touch on that. As traditional practices became overcome by or integrated with All Saints Day and All Souls Day, as, for example, they sort of have become in Peru, Dia de los Difuntos, it's like a mixture of Christianity and more traditional practices of like bread babies, which is kind of like soul cakes, which is something I feel like we didn't even go into, but is a traditional Celtic practice. But there's, there's like lots of similarities to these practices all around the world. But in modern times, in the U.S. anyways, these All Saints Day and All Souls Day, even those have become overshadowed by Halloween and the uh, corn syrup <laughs> corporation. Corn syrup conspiracy. <laughs> corn syrup conspiracy. Um, but it's like not, it's all and about. Fun fact, fun fact. Yeah. Americans spend about $6 billion a year on Halloween, so. Wow, that's crazy. When you think about like what that is being spent on, the how much of that is just like costumes and candy, candy like you know, cheap costumes made by slave labor, and you know, like um, glitter and shiny stuff that's choking up our environment. <laughs> Pretty wild. <laughs> it's kind of changed a little bit from this like uh, either celebratory from, or uh, groups of shaman priests that go house to house dressed as animals to pray for the dead that passed away (laughs) 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 and so they could get like a piece of bread it's it's like shadows of that you know but you know moving you know beyond that and trying to you know even overcome that the ritual of consciously remembering loved ones who have passed is an important spiritual practice in all of our lives It brings death into the context of our daily experience and reminds us that dying is not the end. Well, we've been talking about cultural rituals, history, stories, but now let's take it into how do we take all of this and integrate it into a personal practice. So metaphorically, this time of the year, it also relates to sacrifice, the letting go, the clearing that we may feel called to do now in our lives, in our psyche, and in our body. We may experience grief, sadness, or relief as some things end and new spaces are cleared. We are also honoring and preserving what nourishes and sustains us for winter physically, mentally, and emotionally. We are composting the year's energies into fertile soil for spring. Now is a time of transformation and gratitude. Our intuition generally becomes stronger these days and our inner world takes on greater importance as the hours of light decrease. The seasons and cycles of the year, such as Samhain and Shadow Season, don't just apply to time-honored agrarian practices and cultures and places elsewhere. They also apply to us. The heavenly bodies and the astrological signs that include them are a system of understanding these subtle energy influences of the heavenly bodies as they apply to the cycles and seasons of our lives and as they apply to the journeys we each are on in this lifetime and through eons of time. As above, so below, as within, so without, 
is an ancient wisdom teaching pointing to the natural world as one of our greatest teachers. Just as this is a time for nature and the earth to rest, to turn inward and to prepare for the next growing season, so shadow season is gifted to us for a similar purpose. And Samhain in the month of Scorpio can be a potent threshold across into this inward focus and deepened time of renewal and rebirth. Mystery schools have always taught that renewal and rebirth come after a deep inner change, a deep healing, a transformation of heart and mind, and of the recipient's inner world and sense of self, a remembrance and return to the self. To do this inner work, we move into the other world, what James Hillman, founder of Archetypal Psychology, called the imaginal world, intermingling with this world of form where we can access the primordial stuff of myth and magic, the energy of the process of creation. This is the place of deep healing and transformation. Uh, so that is from the Sophia Women's Institute blog, and I can't personally vouch for any of their services, having not utilized them, but I do like this selection and, of course, great name for your institute. Uh, so I like that because it just talks a little bit more about how this is a time of year for reflection, for for turning both backwards into the mists of time and inwards into our most inner self. So talking about ancestors, you know, ancestor worship, honoring your ancestors, um, you know, dining with the deceased. This is all that this holiday is talking about. Our son's name is Olin, which is an ancient Norse word that means descendant of the ancestors. So this is definitely a source of meaning that I want to incorporate more into our lives. Um, however, it's something that being totally honest, I haven't really worked with a lot in the past. So I thought that to talk a little bit more about connecting with the ancestors, I would read a piece by this woman named, and again, I, I apologize for the pronunciation, Gogo Thul Ngane is a Sangoma traditional healer, priestess, and medicine woman. That Nailed is a, it. That is a hell of a business card. I love that. <laughs> um, but uh, she is devoted to awakening ancestral wisdom on the earth. And so I thought, what person would be more appropriate to talk a little bit more about what connection with our ancestors really looks like? So I'm going to read this from her. We honor the ancestors because we are connected. Whether we acknowledge it or not, there are ones that came before us, ones that opened the way for you to be here, ones who prayed for you before they knew you and worked for your future. Whether we are in tune or not, they walk among us in the spirit realm. We stand on their shoulders. They are still in our blood, in our bones, and when they heal, we are uplifted. When most hear the word ancestors, they instantly connect to their blood relatives that they may or may not have known. In indigenous traditions, this word is more fluid. We have the ancestors and spiritual beings of the waters, 
the air, the fire, the earth, the blood ancestors of your father and mother's lineages, elevated ancestors, and the adopted ancestors or guardians who have chosen to work with you in past and present lifetimes, which come in the form of gods, goddesses, angels, spirit animals, and more. We not only come into this world with physical parents and relatives, but also guardians connected to our lineage, helping spirits, a powerful and huge spiritual court. In my tradition, that of the Sangomas of South Africa, the ancestors are the center of our work because they connect us to the rest of the spirit realm. We honor the ancestors because what we need to heal started long before us. They say that when we do our own inner personal healing, we heal seven generations forward and seven generations back. The memories, the power, traumas, pains, and wisdom of our ancestors are currently running through our blood and DNA and thus stored in our energetic and physical body. Some of us are dealing with sadness and depression, imbalances, illnesses, phobias or mental issues, and life patterns that are connected to what our ancestors went through, as well as experiences that are signs of ancestral messages which I recognize that for some people, this idea of connecting to your ancestors and healing through time, which again, let's remind ourselves that time is a very modern Western concept and that in many cultures, time is seen as cyclical or even that time does not exist, that everything is always happening at once. Uh, so that can help sort of shift your perspective to see how that by doing something in our present moment that we may be connecting with and in fact influencing generations of the past and perhaps the future. So I, I recognize that for some people that might come across as pretty woo-woo, but there is indeed a strong foundation for this in for this idea in the science of epigenetics. I've been hearing about epigenetics for years, but I recently discovered Dr. Bruce Lipton, and he has done work on epigenetic. I mean, he, I believe he's the person that coined that term. He's been doing work on this since like the 70s um, and was considered really out there until fairly recently. But he has done these extremely, and this was like the beginning of his work, but he did these extremely repeatable experiments in which he takes identical stem cells, like 100% identical, no difference whatsoever, just sort of blank slate. And by placing them in different cultures, or better said, environments, those stem cells will grow into either bone in one culture, fat in another culture, muscle tissue in another, same cells. So think about what that means when you apply this message to the idea of being fated to a certain end based on your DNA. No, I think he named like five or seven diseases, a handful of diseases that were indeed intractable from birth. But beyond that, literally any dis-ease, aka the lack of easy normal functioning, could indeed be changed by changing the environment. 
Learning about this topic, I think, can be very pivotal to people in their own healing because it breaks you out from the in the box thinking that you have no power over your own healing and are purely dependent on forces outside of yourself. Changing your environment doesn't only mean changing your bodily environment through diet, exercise, avoidance of allergens, toxins, and the like, but also changing your mental environment, your spiritual environment. So on that note, let's take a moment now to really tune in and honor that ancestral energy. Is this something you've done before? In our society today, many people have lost contact with their heritage through everything from direct trauma, such as the transcontinental slave trade, to just the blowing sands of time themselves. All of us who are not First Peoples, or Native American as you will, are immigrants in this country, and many people I know do not know or necessarily think about their history beyond their great-great-grandparents or so. In my family, we actually have fairly strongly documented history carefully passed down on both sides, and yet, still, ancestral work in the realm of healing is something I personally have really just begun to conceptualize. So whether this is already a routine part of your practice or something that has never before crossed your mind, just why not take a moment with me now and let's reflect on those that came before. This is a prayer written by Joyce Rupp. God of our ancestors, today we gather to our hearts all those who have influenced our lives with their love and goodness. Although they have passed on to the other side of this life, their lives continue to affect who we are and what we do. Like the sound of a bell resounding in the welcoming air, so has the goodness of these holy ones resonated in our lives. Thank you for these ancestors and the bond that we have with them. Makate. Basi. So, ancestral healing, healing intergenerational trauma, um, I mean, this is a topic that really is very in-depth and lengthy and we could go on and on and on. So in order to not have this be like a four-hour podcast, I thought that I also, before we wrapped up, wanted to spend some time addressing the theme of death in this holiday because it's not just about those that passed a long, long time ago and who we may be very connected to in a spiritual way, but not necessarily in a way that causes us an immediate emotional reaction of grief when we think about this loss. For me personally, the reason that I got into the field of mental health is because, and really that has turned into, you know, overall wellness, spiritual health, that sort of thing. Um, but it's because I encountered very significant loss and I wanted to use my experiences and learn more expertise and then help other people to work through those experiences. Because while in ancient times, grief, death, loss, these were all very natural parts of communities, societies, 
Um, there were many rituals ingrained into their culture to celebrate and process these topics. In modern times, death has really become almost a taboo subject to where one of the most common things that you will hear from people when they um, are trying to console somebody after someone has died is like, I just, I don't even know what to say. Like, I don't have the words. And sometimes that may lead people because they're so uncomfortable with it to just ignore that it's happened or attempt to ignore it. And um, when we're talking about grief work, uh, there are both active and avoidant coping mechanisms. Coping mechanisms being like how we deal with it are different processes that we use. And avoidant coping mechanisms are going to be things like alcohol use or throwing yourself into work, like just where you, you're trying to not even think about it. But Studies have shown, in particular, I have here a 2016 study that says when you are working to heal distress, that active coping mechanisms are much more effective. And so active coping mechanisms, when we're looking at grief, are going to be spending time grieving intentionally. When we try to avoid really challenging emotions and topics, what that actually does is it gives it more power over us and indeed makes that thing come up even more. So then you have to spend even more time trying to avoid it and it just, yeah, you never process it. And so then it's just sort of lingering there gnawing on your insides. And um so one thing that I thought that would be really nice to do today is to take some time, not only to honor our ancestors and those that have come before, but also to spend some time thinking about those that we have lost in our lives and to really just spend a moment to sit with that energy one thing that one practice that I read about that I recommend for since this is considered sort of the pagan new year we're just starting a fresh turning of the wheel um, is for the year ahead to choose for those that you have lost to choose one particular item it doesn't have to be anything big but just something small that to you represents them and represents the relationship that you had together and to um, each day, you know, to have those either that you carry with you, depending on how many you have, or you could set them up in some sort of altar, but basically to spend some time to really acknowledge the presence of that individual in your life and what it's meant to you, and to try to bring forward all of the positive connections, energy, lessons that you may have learned from that person in that relationship and bring it forward into the new year. And so that's not necessarily, you could do it with your ancestors, but um, specifically, I think to help deal with those feelings of grief and loss, it can be really helpful because it's an expression of gratitude and it's an expression of your continuing love for that person. So yeah, there's definitely kind of with that if you want to take it back to the kind of magical ritual things that I was talking about earlier it's definitely a common type of ritual uh, especially working with any element like fire or water earth 
you can take an object, either a piece of paper, and write that person's name down and write them a message. And you could burn it or bury that message into the ground for them or send it off down a stream that you like to sit by while you kind of meditate and think about that person. You can also take something like an apple or a potato and carve that person's name onto that with symbols of things that represent either their astrological signs or things that remind you of that person and either bury those or throw them into a fire. That's just kind of another way to go about what you're talking about, I think. No, totally. And that's one of the things like when I used to work at a residential treatment center for people who are going through addictions, it was like a 28 day program. And so each day we would talk about different topics because this is totally unrelated. But with addiction, it's not so much about the substance, but it's about healing whatever it is that you're trying to cover up or fill in with that substance. And so we talk about, I mean, all kinds of stuff, family trauma. And that can be grief a lot of times. Well, exactly, exactly. And so one of the days in particular, well, several days, but one day that we focus on grief, that's one of the activities that I had uh, these gals doing because I was mostly working with the women. And so I would have everyone write a letter to someone that they had lost, whether it was a great relationship or a very complicated one, say what they needed to say. And then we went outside and lit a fire in a metal trash can (laughs) and everybody like read their letter if they wanted to, or they just said that person's name or whatever, threw it in. And so we did it as a group and it was honestly like really powerful. Everybody had, that was a very strong emotional day for a lot of people. And it was, it was a great exercise. So I love that, that it's like traditional as well as modern psychology. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I just wanted to take a moment to guide us through. um, I just wanted to take a moment to guide us through a very gentle meditation to honor those that we have lost. So if you're driving or something, you know, you can just listen along and um, as it is. But if you're at home then or somewhere comfortable, I recommend that you either come into a very comfortable seated posture or even just go ahead and lay down, pull a blanket over yourself, get snuggly. Just take a moment to rest. Now, as you start to settle in, Go ahead and begin to calm your breath, breathing deeply through the nose and out through the mouth. As you breathe, try to bring these deep, fresh breaths all the way down to your diaphragm, to your belly, letting that fresh air fill your body and breathing out any old or stagnant air that you may be holding on to. After you've taken a moment to let your breathing settle in, become aware of your body. Start at your toes and slowly work your way up to your knees, your hips, your abdomen, and notice 
is there anywhere that I am holding on to tension? Is there anywhere that my muscles are clenching? Is there anywhere that I can release, relax, rest? Continue to scan up your body, moving into your chest, your heart, your lungs, your shoulders. Many people hold a lot of tension in their upper shoulders and neck. So if you're holding on to anything there, the jaw, go ahead and just release that and let the skin of your face relax. Feel the weight of your body grounding you, anchoring you. If you feel alone right now, invite a compassionate being to join you. It could be a spiritual being such as Christ, Buddha, the Virgin Mary, Quan Yin, the goddess of compassion, or it could be a loving parent, grandparent, teacher, ancestor, whoever is a compassionate presence in your life, invite them to be with you in this time. If it feels right, with this support, acknowledge whatever you are feeling right now, be it exhaustion or panic, you may be in the first throes of loss, maybe anxiety, fear, pain, grief. Whatever distress you may be feeling right now, whatever suffering you may be feeling right now, hold on to that in your heart as if you would hold something precious and fragile. While you hold on to that suffering, allow the support, guidance, and wisdom of your compassionate being to also enter your heart, feeling the support of the ground beneath you, feeling held. When we peel back the layers of our suffering, we find that the reason we feel this grief is because there is a base of love. We feel this grief because there is this connection with this person. Otherwise, we wouldn't feel this way. Our connection continues regardless of whether this person may be in the physical realm or not. Now begin to form an image in your mind. Form an image of yourself. We are at a feast we are at a bonfire all of your loved ones whether they have recently passed or be ancestors from long ago all are present with you now you are being held not only by the hands of your compassionate chosen being but by all of those who have come before you we celebrate these connections tonight Ryan, Alice, Whitney, Laura, Josh, Neville, Jesse, Stephen, Haley, Kyler, Brooke, Matt, Sierra, Jesse, Chris, Nadia, Carl, Doug, Ralph,
and to all the brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, aunts and uncles, great-grandfathers, great-grandmothers, all of the friends, acquaintances, and beautiful souls that have blessed our lives and all of the lives of our listeners. We thank you for joining us on this sacred celebration, and we hope that you'll take something a little bit different away from this podcast. Until next time, this was Fabled Remedies. Thanks, all.